Good morning, Frontline family. Welcome to those joining us in the house, those joining us online, as well as those that are here for the first time today. You are most welcome, and may the love of God be the portion that you leave with today. Every other portion that comes from man, every other portion that comes from myself, cast that aside. But allow the portion of God's love through His Word, and as you've already experienced in worship, let that be the portion you take and allow it to bring transformation in your life. Church, it's God's love that has allowed us to gather here today as His followers with an eternal destiny. And it's the same love that has drawn someone here for the first time today, not knowing what that really means, but will have an encounter with the Savior of the world. Can we believe for that today? That's the God we serve and put all of our hope in. Church, we have the privilege to continue expounding on God's Word this morning. And for those of you that are here for the first time today, just to set the stage for you, we have been in a series over the past three to four months called Preaching the Kingdom, which is based on the Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus on a hillside on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. It's a sermon that Jesus delivers to his people, to people who want to be followers of his, and it is not for the faint of heart. And I say that, church, because as we've seen, Jesus raises the bar on every issue, discipline, and principle of life. And he says, listen, if you want to be followers of mine, your life is going to have to look a certain way. Your life is going to have to look like this. And if you're anything like me, you would have realized by now that the life that Jesus is calling us to is so contrary to what the world offers, to where the world leads us to and, and what the flesh desires. And truthfully, that's why it feels like we have been doing open heart surgery over the past couple of months. Anyone else feel like your heart has been ripped out at times and examined right before you? But let me just say, church, there is a, a purpose in all of this. There is a purpose why Jesus cuts straight to the heart of the matter. And it's not to make you and I feel like we are no good Christians and that, you know, we can't get anything right. That we come here every Sunday to get another lesson on how we've missed the mark and we feel like we, we're never going to measure up. No, that's not how Jesus operates. All of this, the purpose of this church is to align our will with the king so that we can be kingdom ambassadors. Amen. We need to realize that Jesus isn't saying, hey, look at what a terrible Christian you are, because just look at how your life doesn't measure up to the standard that I'm setting. Instead, Jesus is saying, hey, this is what I want you to develop in your life. So you, Kevin, or you, Ronell. Or you Donovan, or you Umtunzi, or you Orient, or you Darlington, or you Jason. This is what I want you to develop in your life so that you can be a part of building kingdom. You see, that's a very different perspective if we listen to the commands of Jesus in that way. Because it's an invitation to partnering with your creator in building kingdom. What a privilege, right? 
And let me just add, church, that you are already an heir of the kingdom if you have given your heart to the Lord. You are already a kid of the kingdom. You just have to start behaving like one. And I don't say that in a, a condescending way, by no means, church. What I mean is our soul needs to catch up with what has already been accomplished in our spirit. Right? And that's where Jesus is pointing us to right throughout Scripture. He wants us to deal with our soul, right? He wants our souls to prosper. Why? So that we can be effective soul winners for the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Our perspective on how we view Jesus' instructions for life and godliness is so important because it will determine our obedience or lack thereof. Because think about this. If you are serving a master that's always coming down on you, and telling you how you are messing up and, and not measuring up, are you going to want to really follow that master? But if you have a master or a king that says, listen, I want you to develop certain things in your life so that you can partner with me in building kingdom, you're going to say, yes, I'm going to put up my hand. I want to be a part of serving that type of God. So with that in mind, church, this morning, we are going to be looking at a common theme that Jesus addresses throughout Scripture he addresses it here in the Sermon on the Mount, and it has to do with the material aspects of Christian living. We've been speaking about the spiritual disciplines of giving, praying, and fasting over the past few weeks, and today we are going to look at some of the material disciplines of the faith in how we as Christians are to manage and be good stewards of the material possessions of life. And yes, it can be a little bit of an uncomfortable or, or difficult topic to talk about. But the reason we need to take a, a careful look at this portion of Scripture, church, is because we need to make sure that the material need for things in life does not become the greed for things in life. Right? Which is often the case in the world in which we live. As followers of Christ, we have to say, okay... Yes, we need material things to survive. Material things in and of themselves are not sinful. But we have to make sure that we are good stewards of those things. We have to make sure that we, that we own material things and they don't own us. It was Albert Schweitzer that once said, Anything you have that you cannot give away, you do not really own, it owns you. You see, if we're not cautious enough, it is possible for material things to become obsessions or pursuits in a way that they start to own us rather than us owning them. And church, you may or may not know this, but of all the teachings in it that Jesus recorded in the Bible, as much as 15% of those teachings speak about money or possessions. Did you know that? Neither did I before this week. So it was obviously a very important matter for Jesus and still is. And that's why we set our focus on this topic today, starting here at verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. Have you got your Bibles open? Have you got your Bible apps open for the millennials? This is what Jesus says. Do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy 
and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm sure you will agree with me, church, when I make the statement that materialism is so accepted in the world around us. It's so accepted in the culture around us that we probably don't pay that much attention to it anymore. When Jesus talked about this over 2,000 years ago in a culture that would have been far poorer than ours, back then you would have been considered a rich person if you had more than two or three sets of clothing in your closet. And in comparison, if you and I go home and we're looking in our cupboards, what would we find? A lot more, right? And it's not like we should be comparing modern times to, to those times, but materialism is something that strikes the human heart, and every single one of us has the tendency to look to material things and do things with them that God never meant material things to do. God never meant material things to define who you are. But somehow we find ourselves looking to material possessions to define us. The kind of phone that we have, the kind of car that we drive, the, the type of house that we live in, the clothes that we wear, and sometimes even the places that we eat. You know, the type of food that we eat. Isn't it just too easy for us to invest something, church, so much meaning into those things in a way that it defines who we are? God never intended material things to do that. God never intended material things to be the fundamental sense of joy in your life. And I know that's a bit of a hard concept to grasp sometimes, especially at, for instance, Christmas time or at birthdays. Because when you receive a gift from someone that is it's a really thoughtful gift, it makes you happy, right? But you yourself know that what makes you even happier than receiving a gift is seeing the delight in someone else's eyes as they open that gift that you've given them. Jesus himself said that it is better to give than to receive. But again, this world we live in wants to trip us up in that we try to find a source of joy in the things that we have. We look to material things for meaning. We look to material things for identity. We look to them for joy. Church, God never intended and meant material things to serve those purposes in your life. As a matter of fact, God meant material things to be our servants, not our masters. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. That's what you would call a bad investment. Because whatever, you, whatever earthly treasure you place value on now, it can be done away with in, in an instant. And church, if you've been around long enough on this earth, you would have experienced times where one day your net worth is worth so much, and because of a recession or a bad business deal or because of a war in some distant country, you know, in a week or two, that net worth has been halved, or if it's even worse, 
you're in a deficit. Things happen, right? And the truth is that whatever we own when it comes to material things, it's a very tenuous and fragile existence. But the problem is, church, when we start defining ourselves by our material things, we go into a never-ending spiral where we think that what we really need to be happy in life is more material things. And we can all fall into that trap. And the first principle that I want you to grab a hold of this morning is this. The answer to being happy with material things in your life is not more material things. The answer to be, being happy with material things in your life is one word. And it's the word contentment. Learning to be content in your life with what you have. You know, there's been many surveys done throughout the years on what people think that they need to earn financially to be happy in life. And the majority of people, when they do these surveys, say one of two things. They say either, you know what, I want to earn more than what I'm earning now. And I think that's quite an obvious answer. But most of the people say, listen, I'd only be happy, I'd really be happy in life if I earned double of what I earn right now. Right? So, for instance, if you earned 60,000 rand a year, you would say, I would only be happy if I was earning 120,000 rand a year. But can you see the trap with that? Because even if you, you reach the double amount, which we normally do in life, there's always the next double up. Right? <laughs> At the turn of the 20th century, a man by the name of John D. Rockefeller was the richest man on the planet. He owned all types of businesses, properties. He owned over 90% of the oil in America. And in today's terms, he would have been richer than Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Warren Buffett combined. That's how rich he was. And he was asked one day, how much money is enough money? And he replied, just a little bit more. And the truth is, church, no matter how much money any of us makes or how much stuff we own, we all think that way to some degree. If I had just a little bit more, I'd, I'd be better off. The Apostle Paul had the right idea. He says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain, he says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. If you and I have a spirit of contentment before God, then let me tell you, that is a, a value that literally money cannot buy. You see, there are people who, by the world's standards, live very good lives, but they don't have contentment, and they are tormented inside because they are always chasing for more. But someone who has a very humble life, yet is filled with the heart of contentment, there's a very real sense in which they are wealthier than the discontented person who has so much more in material things. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And church, what Jesus is getting at here is that we, if we just lay up earthly treasures 
It's just adding to ourselves. Whereas God wants us to have a giving open heart because everything we have belongs to Him anyway and it is given to us to manage. Jesus says in verse 20, the right way to be a good steward of what God has given us is not to lay up treasure for yourself on earth, but to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Can I ask you a question? Do you think someone can break into heaven and steal what, what God has stored up for you there? <laughs> now, how do you do that? How do you do that in a world where Satan has developed a, a worldly system that drives individuals to gathering more and more for themselves? That's really the question Jesus is wanting to, uh, us to ask ourselves in the here and now. Ryan, how do you store up treasures for yourself in heaven? Do you know what the, the answer is, church? You can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. You can, by a deliberate choice, start right now by investing in God's work and by giving into His kingdom, you can send it on ahead. And you see, Jesus is trying to change our perspective here. Because, let me give an example. When you think about precious commodities in this world, when you think about gold, we think of it as such a precious commodity in the here and now, right? And it is. I mean, if you could get hold of a bar of gold, I mean, if you sold it, can you imagine what you could buy with that? It reminds me about those days where you would go to Gold Reef City. I don't know if you guys ever remember that in school, and they would show you how to make the gold. But at the end of that, they had this bar of gold, and they said, if you could just pick up that bar of gold with one hand, not two hands, you could take it home with you, right? And you thought, if I could get hold of this, can you imagine what I can buy with this, this gold, you know? For interest's sake, I went online and I checked the current value of gold, and it's in the region of 1 million rand per kilogram. It's over 30,000 rand per ounce of gold. But I want you to see the perspective here. What does, do, what does God do with gold in heaven? He paves the streets with it. It's like tar to God. Can you see the perspective? It reminds me of a story about a man named Danny Simpson who at the age of 24 robbed a bank in, in Canada at gunpoint. He robbed the bank of a total of $6,000. Right. I suppose, I don't know how long ago it was, but $6,000 is a fair amount of money. But anyway, he wasn't the best type of robber. He had never tried this thing before, so he was, he was captured shortly thereafter. He was a young man with a, a bright future, but this tragic act, you know, this, this act of crime would, would cost him the rest of his life, or most of the rest of his life. The tragedy, church, the real tragedy of this true story, however, is that the weapon he used to rob the bank was a 1918 45 caliber semi-automatic worth $100,000. He robbed the bank of $6,000 with a weapon worth $100,000. You see, Danny's problem was that he didn't know what he had in his hand. If he had known, he probably wouldn't have chosen to be a thief. Right? 
What he had in his possession would have given him so much more. If Christians only knew the value of what God has placed in our hands to be good stewards of, we wouldn't feel like we would have to rob God by holding on to whatever we can in this life. We'd realize that it has so much more eternal value. And that's why as kingdom ambassadors, and I want to bring, start bringing a bit of application this morning. That's why as kingdom ambassadors, we need to op- adopt the idea, and I want you to write this down if you can, or, or make a mental note of it. We need to adopt the idea that we must use what God has given us now to invest in kingdom work that impacts people for eternity. Let me say that again. We must use what God has given us now to invest in kingdom work that impacts people for eternity. That's how you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You use the resources God has given you in this life to impact the kingdom in a way that makes eternal differences in the lives of people. And so, for example, when you give to your church to support certain ministries that impact people for kingdom's sake, you are laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When you give to support ministries in our church like Love God, Love People, and like Dear Kenya that Renata was talking about this morning, or other ministries you may support that you know, distribute Bibles, etc., etc., you are making an investment in the lives of people for an eternal difference, and that is laying up treasures in heaven. When you support God's work and persecuted Christians are strengthened and Bibles are translated or distributed and the unreached people are reached, that is a reward that lasts for you for all of eternity. And God is basically saying, have a kingdom perspective about earthly goods and use them in a way that glorifies God for the sake of the eternal lives of people. If we do that, that we are making an eternal difference and laying up treasures for ourselves in heaven. Jesus goes a bit deeper in verse 21. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus made the conclusion, church, that you can only have your treasure and your heart in one place. Either your treasure and your heart is going to be in heaven or your treasure and your heart is going to be on earth. And you know, church, our great desire as we grow in spiritual maturity, and it may not be at that place right now, but our great desire as we grow should be that each and every one of us would be on the right side of that equation. Because... If our treasure is really on earth, that's where our heart is, that's where our feet are grounded, which means we have no heart or mind for heaven. And church, what I want to be very clear about today is that Jesus isn't telling you to despise material blessings that God has so graciously given you. If God has blessed you materially, that's wonderful. Don't feel guilty about it. Jesus isn't telling you to feel guilty about it or torment yourself about it. Just, you know what, if you've received it, thank you for it. But here's the point. Regard it as a stewardship and use it as a wise investor with a heavenly portfolio in mind, not an earthly portfolio in mind. 
Why? Because your earthly portfolio is going to pass away, but your heavenly one will, will prosper forever. Can you see the perspective that Jesus is trying to show us here? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Once the heart is properly given to God, the treasure follows very naturally. That's the choice that we have between two treasures. You're either going to be storing treasures up in heaven or you're going to be storing treasures on earth. As we move into verse 22 and 23, I want you to see the choice that we have between two visions. Let me explain what I mean. Jesus says the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And church, when you read that passage of Scripture in the middle of what Jesus is addressing here about the, the material disciplines of the Christian faith, you might think that it just doesn't fit in with what he said and what he's about to say. But there is such an important principle here if we would just understand it a little better. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but what Jesus is basically doing here and talking about, church, is a person's perspective of God. Do you have a good eye towards God or do you have a, a bad eye towards God? Because if you have a good eye towards God, you will recognize everything comes from His hand and you just simply want to be as generous as He is. If you have a bad eye, then you'll be stingy or, or selfish or covetous. If we have a good vision in that we see God as the source of everything that we have and that we're just supposed to manage it well, using it in a way that honors Him, then we reflect the light of the Lord and as the Word says, our whole body will be full of light. If, however... We have a bad vision in that we see ourselves as the source of everything and say things like, you know, I don't really buy any of this stuff about storing up treasure in heaven. And I've worked hard for my stuff and, and my stuff is my stuff. And all the while, you don't really see what God has been doing in your life, right? And, and you're ungrateful. Then your life is going to be filled with darkness. It's about having an eye or a vision singly focused on the light of God and the heart of God. And if his heart is generous, then ours should be as well. And when we keep that single type of focus on him, we are led away from the darkness, church, and this is important. We are led away from the darkness of greed, covetousness, comparison, and envy. That's the choice that we have between two visions. And as we look at our last verse this morning, I want you to see the choice we have between two masters. Jesus says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, Many of us breathe a sigh of relief when we hear that. Because none of us, or most of us don't know what Jesus was saying when he said, you know what, you can't serve mammon. 
You say, well, I'm, I'm sorted there. I don't, I don't know this guy, Mammon, so I don't serve him, you know. Well, church, I'm going to put you on the hook this morning right now by explaining to you what Jesus meant by the word Mammon. Mammon was an Aramaic word that Jesus uses here. And it is a word that would have been familiar in his day that the Jewish people would have understood very well. Mammon was a reference to an idol, and it is the idol of materialism. And church, there's no historical reference point that the Jews ever worshipped the God of Mammon, but they would use that term to describe something that was materialistic in terms of either the money that you earned or the possessions that you had, or in terms of anything that you served God or you served more than God. That was the idea behind Mammon, right? And in today's terms, in the material world in which we live, if materialism could be represented by a pagan god, you could call that god Mammon. That's the idea behind that word. And Jesus says, what am I about to say? I know our convicting words, church. But Jesus says, you can't serve me and serve the God of materialism at the same time. And the reason I say it's convicting, church, is because truthfully, part of us says, Jesus, why do you have to be so hung up on this? Right? Jesus, why can't I serve you more than, than I serve mammon? I'll serve you. I'll give you 90 measures of effort, Jesus. Right? But, and I'll give mammon 50 measures of effort. But Jesus says, that isn't how it works in my kingdom. I don't want your heart to be divided. It's like in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were having trouble with, with going after foreign gods. Because in their minds, it was just fine with them to serve Baal, a god of the Canaanites and Yahweh. They said, Yahweh, we'll, we'll give you the best sacrifices, right? We'll give you the oxen, Yahweh, and we'll just give, give Baal a ram. You get more, Yahweh. We'll serve you more. We'll, we'll worship you more. And you know what the Lord's response was? He says, I don't want it. Baal was happy with a divided heart, but Yahweh said, no, I must have your heart alone. You can't serve both. You must choose this day whom you will serve. And many people will say today that they love God, but honestly speaking, what they do with their money and possessions and their heart towards those things shows something very different. And that's the question, church, you and I are confronted with here today as we, we hear these words of Jesus. Do we have a divided heart when it comes to material things, to, to our possessions, to our money? Someone once said that money is a wonderful servant, but it is a terrible master. And that's why Jesus wants to deliver us from the slave master of materialism. He says, rather be content with whatever you have at whatever stage you are in your life. Choose treasures that will be stored up for yourselves in heaven. Choose a vision that will cause you to be singly focused on the light and the heart of God so that you can behave in the same way and choose which master will determine your destiny. And church, I know this is a hard word for us all. 
Right? Trust me, when I go through these words week after week, it challenges me very deeply. And you look at yourself sometimes and say, Lord, how am I going to get this thing right in my life? But I'm going to remind myself and I'm going to remind you about what I said right in the beginning of the message. Jesus isn't saying to you that these commands and giving you these commands because he wants you to feel condemned. And that he wants you to walk out here today feeling all depressed because you're nowhere near to the standard that he's setting. Rather, he's saying to his church here at Frontline, I want you to develop this part of your life so that you can have the privilege of building kingdom with me. That's what he's doing. He says, I don't want your heart divided because a divided, divided heart doesn't have the ability to build in my kingdom. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And church, when we look at this type of message, we, we all need work. We all look to possessions and things we own to, for a certain amount of, of value that we place on them. Or we define ourselves by the things that we have, the way that we dress. We all have work. And I again want to remind you, Jesus is not saying that we need to despise these things. But whatever we have, we have to make sure that we have a heavenly portfolio in mind. We have a choice. Remember, I've given you choices between those three different elements. We have a choice. Jesus says that I want every part of you. Is there anyone that would want to be a part of building God's kingdom? Yes. Amen.